Today on Blue 58, are you still thankful for the Packers? Of course you are. So let's talk a little bit about what we're thankful for in the spirit of the season. But first, we have to follow up on a couple of storylines from Sunday's meltdown in San Francisco. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast at thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here on Thanksgiving Eve. It is just about Thanksgiving, my favorite pie-centric holiday of the year. So I guess among holidays that we celebrate in America, this one has the most pie. So that is of of great interest to me as a a pie lover, as longtime listeners to the podcast will know. I have great feelings about pie. We're not here to talk about that, though. We're here to talk about the Packers. I don't want to get too macro on the storylines we talk about today, the big picture stuff. Because I think it would be really easy, one, to get depressing uh, talking about that after the Packers got handled by the 49ers on Sunday. And two, I'm not sure anything that we talk about at like a 40,000-foot level about the Green Bay Packers right now is anything we didn't really know already. So I wanted to address two things coming out of this particular game because I think we're about to learn a lot about the Packers. And one thing has already taught us a lot about the Packers already. First, to start off this first segment, uh, I need to offer a little bit of an apology to Kevin King because he was one of the people I cited as giving up an explosive play in the Packers' loss to the 49ers. We talked about George Kittle's big touchdown. It looked like Kevin King may be at fault for that play. And in defense of the point I made in the podcast after the game, I'm still not sure Kevin King's technique was the greatest in the world. Had he just done kind of a normal backpedal, George Kittle would not probably have broken quite as open as he did. However, Packers coaches and beat writers after the game got together and were able to confirm that Kevin King was actually doing the right thing on that play. He was playing the coverage that he was supposed to play, so we fell victim to one of the cardinal sins of football analysis, making a playoff broadcast or making a comment based on broadcast tape. Always want to try to put things in context. However, that still does not absolve the Packers' defense overall for giving up these explosive plays repeatedly and consistently. But we learned something interesting just today, I did at least, about how the Packers look at this sort of stuff internally. As you know, we track explosive plays that the Packers put up, um, but their Packers, the Packers' defense obviously wants to track something similar for what they are allowing. And I don't know if you've caught this, but we got a rare peek behind the curtain as to exactly how the Packers evaluate these things themselves. In an article at PackersNews.com, Mike Pettin revealed his definition of explosive plays. He says they are runs of at least 10 yards or passes of at least 15 yards. Now that dovetails pretty nicely with something we were talking about just a couple weeks ago. Our definition of an explosive play is a 12-yard run or a 16-yard pass. And on an episode not that long ago, I talked about not being sure about that definition because it treats runs and passes differently. And if the idea is to just get yards and ultimately points, doesn't matter how you're getting them. And I had a, uh, an interesting dialogue with a, with a listener who said, yeah, it, it should um, because you want to make sure that, I mean, your defense for both of those things is different. And the the measures of success for both of those things is a little bit different, too. And it's interesting to see that he, too, has a different standard for evaluating run defense and pass defense as well. So he 
grades according to um, what the opposing offense is doing. He has one standard for run, one standard for passes. That, that to me, is really interesting. And I think it helps inform what we do in our analysis, too. Secondly, we've also learned that Mike Pettin is a pretty tough grader. 10 and 15 is pretty a pretty low bar for an explosive play. So I think there were Packers players saying that they were they were graded or they were evaluated as giving up a dozen explosive plays um, in Sunday's game. And I, I haven't broken down exactly yet how many they would give up on, a, on our standard, but I know 10 and 15 is a pretty permissive um, standard for explosive plays. This kind of informs what I would like to do going forward with with the explosive play number, and it confirms, I think, my decision to stick with 12 and 16 for the foreseeable future. I don't want to be quite so permissive as Patton is or, or have such a low bar because explosive plays should, I think, be a little bit hard to come by, but I don't want to make it too hard for the offense either. I've seen some people use 15 for a run and 20 for a pass. That seems uh, maybe a little bit needlessly hard. So 12 and 16 seems like a good middle-of-the-road number, and it's good to have some hard data from somebody like Mike Pettin to uh, to put on that. Next up, the Packers are going to be in a little bit of a bind on the offensive line uh, this coming Sunday. Uh, it looks like Brian Bulaga is going to be out with a knee injury, and the Packers have not really cleared up what they're going to do at right tackle while he's out. They went with Alex Light during the 49ers game, and they've done that whenever Brian Bulaga or David Bakhtiari have been out so far this year. But I think you'd be hard-pressed to really say you feel super great about Light's performance on Sunday. It wasn't like he was getting beat up one side and down the other, but he was enough of a liability that you want to see what better options you have. And one of those options could be Billy Turner. People talked about him as the possible eventual successor to Brian Bulaga uh, fairly consistently this offseason because he's played both guard and tackle in the past. And I don't know if I want to go that far at any point, and certainly not right now, whether him taking over for Brian Bulaga at right tackle um, means anything for the future, I think is a debate for another day. Um, the question I have right now is if the Packers decide to go with Billy Turner at right tackle, can he do it? Now, he played left tackle for one game all the way back when he was with the Miami Dolphins, the team that originally drafted him, and it didn't go well. Gave up a bunch of sacks and ultimately got cut. But playing for the Broncos in 2018, he actually started four games at right tackle. And I don't have a position-by-position breakdown of the sacks that he gave up last year, but he gave up a total of four and a half last year at both guard and tackle, according to StatSync, which is um, about what he's given up so far this year, maybe a little bit more. For that matter, we should uh, we should add this caveat: Sports Information Solutions, another another resource I look to for information on like sacks allowed and and run blocking stuff, um, says he's only or had him for only two sacks given up last year. Broadly speaking, I think Billy Turner is the sort of the exactly the sort of guy you'd look to fill in at tackle in a pinch. Just look what the Packers did uh, with Justin McRae over the past couple seasons. Um, Turner is like a, a superior version of Justin McCray. He has kind of that build where he can fill in both at guard and at tackle. And I think if that's what the Packers need to do, he'd be just fine. And I think they're actually buoyed a little bit by by the presence of the guy who would take over for Turner at guard 
if he moves out to tackle, and that's Lucas Patrick. Now, Lucas Patrick is an imperfect player, but I think there's a lot to like about him. And one of the things that you really have to like about him is his intensity. He kind of has that TJ Lang attitude that you really like from offensive linemen, like nobody's going to touch my guys, they're my guys, and I'm going to stand up for them, be that kind of protector, bulldog sort of personality, and that's what you get with Lucas Patrick. You don't always get the finest run blocking in the world, or pass blocking for that matter, but he's going to give you full effort every time he's on the field, and that as much as anything is a desirable trait to have among offensive linemen. Speaking of offensive linemen, the Packers made a corresponding move finally uh, to putting Cole Madison on injured reserve. Yash Nyman gets promoted from the practice squad to the active roster. Let's have a little bit of a refresher on Mr. Nyman. Uh, He was one of the Packers members of the Packers undrafted free agent class this spring and boy is he a big a big fella. 6'7", 324 is listed stats coming out of Virginia Tech. I said at the time, he reminded me of a guy who's going to have to explain his name forever. What's your name? Yash. Josh? No, Yash. Okay, Josh. No, it's Yash. His full name is Yashua Nineman. So so it is short for basically Joshua with a Y. Uh, the book on him is that although he is big, um, the real issue he's had in his career is injuries. He started all of Virginia Tech's games at left tackle all the way back in 2016 and started the first eight of the season in 2017 before a leg injury. Um, Then in 2018, he started 11 games at right tackle before he missed two with an injury again. He's one of those linemen that you worry about maybe being just a little bit too tall. Um, People look at Jonathan Ogden I think uh, the the Ravens great as as a guy who's just super super tall, six foot nine, and think, well, if he was tall and he was really good, a Hall of Fame player, being tall must be great. But I think it's possibly to actual possible for offensive linemen to actually be too tall, and with a guy who's six foot seven, that's something you might worry about a little bit. He was pegged at having that waist as having that waist bender trait that people talk about. It's hard to generate power when you bend at the waist. And that's something that anybody who's had to lift things, do manual labor for a living, is going to know. What do they always tell you in that safety training? Lift with your legs. Well, in football, you want to be blocking with your legs too. Don't block with your back, which is what you're doing if you're bending over at the waist. Squat with your legs and get power with your legs by bending there. Bend with your knees, not with your waist. Uh, He was also NFL Draft Scouts number 19 rated tackle. When he came out this spring, seemed like a solid developmental prospect. Now we'll see him on the active roster. So the Packers back up to full strength. They went into this past weekend's game with just 52 players. Now they are back up to 53, and that offensive line is fully uh, fully fleshed out yet again. Let's pivot to something completely different here for just, just a second. Um, and this will take us through the balance of the episode today. I wanted to stop and reflect. I always like to do that on, on the big round number episodes. And this one just happens to be to happen at a, a good time for this, 250 today. Uh, that seems like a lot, but it's, you know, compared to some, it's, it's not all that much. But um, given that it is Thanksgiving tomorrow here in the United States, I wanted to pause and talk a little bit about some things that I am thankful for as they pertain Um, to my Packers experience and and the things that I've been able to do with this podcast. And first and foremost, what I have to say that I'm thankful for is is the audience who listens to Blue 58 and who reads 
the stuff that we publish on thepowersweep.com. Some of you go so far as to support us financially. That is absolutely amazing, and I'm super grateful for that. But just the fact that anybody reads and listens at all is super, super thrilling and rewarding for me. And on top of that, I've been able to gain some really great and interesting friendships out of the work that I've done in this podcast and on thepowersweep.com. Uh, I've messaged back and forth to pe- uh, with people from my current the, the cur- current place that I live, who I wouldn't have connected with had uh, had I not done this, uh, from my former hometown or hometowns in Wisconsin. I've met and messaged with uh, people from places all around the world, Sweden, England, uh, Ireland, Guam, uh, places all over the world that I never would have been able to connect to had I not done this, had I not started this podcast and, and been able to, to keep it going for the years that we've done it. So that has just been super, super rewarding. And I'm super thankful for everybody who who takes the time to to listen, to tune in, to give us their thoughts. And it's been just a blast getting to know people. And I've had some really rewarding conversations about non-football stuff just as a result of getting started talking to people um, through this show. And that's just really, really cool. That, to me, shows the power of something like like football and the and the community that it can create this shared experience that we all go through uh, watching the packers talking about it thinking about it brings us together and it gives us a chance to get to know each other in ways that we wouldn't have otherwise i am also super thankful for the larger packers podcasting community um i'm a firm believer in the the saying that a rising tide carries all boats i think what is good for a part of the podcast community helps us all. And even though I kind of make a point to not listen to a lot of Packers podcasts, and I'll explain why in a second, I think the amount of quality podcasts that are out there helps all of us. And I think there are there are a number of good podcasts out there. Um, the Acme Packing Company podcast is is one that is run by a couple friends of mine. Um, that it, That is an excellent one. The Locked On Packers podcast, the UK Packers podcast, Packaday podcast, uh, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel podcast, obviously, which they're calling Green 19 now, which is kind of funny and uh, a little bit flattering. Draw your own conclusions there. Uh, but just the fact that there is this vibrant, deep, high-quality Packers podcasting community out there is something I'm very thankful for because I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it has helped this show. People are familiar with other shows. They want to check out more Packers podcasts, and there we are, uh, ready and waiting for them. Um, And it would be harder for them to find us if it weren't for them. And I wish I had more time and opportunity to listen to other Packers podcasts, because in addition to to the ones that I mentioned, I know there there are other good ones out there as well. Like I said, I do make it a point to not listen to a ton, um... Not because I don't think they're good, I do, but I, I'm worried about even unintentional idea theft. I don't want things bleeding over into this show uh, that I hear on other shows um, and forgetting to give credit or just thinking I came up with something and not remembering that I heard it on somebody else's show. I don't, I don't want to run the risk of that. There's also the issue of time. There's only so much time in a day to listen to podcasts and as much as I would like to listen to only Packers podcasts and get all that done, I do have to, for my own sanity, listen to some other things now and then. Um, and I don't blame anybody else who wants to do that as well. But 
Um, I wish I could listen to more, and I'm thankful for everybody who's a part of that. And speaking of you know being at 250 episodes, I, I do have to kind of shout out anybody who listens to or is part of the Pack a Day podcast. Just the sheer number of episodes they have put up uh, since they started a little over a year ago is is very impressive. Uh, the team they've got going there is doing something right, and and that is impressive to see. Um, more specifically to our content here, I'm really thankful that we get to cover the Packers at this particular time in Packers history. This is really uh, the latter end of the Favre slash Rodgers era. And I think there's some really, really interesting stuff going on. I, I was thinking just the other day um, that the work we're doing in the Packers media community, professional and otherwise, is important now. Uh, not only for how we think about the team now, but how we'll look back on this team 20 years from now, 30 years from now. What are the the what will we think of the 2019 plus or minus Packers in 2039, 2049, something like that? Uh, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, of course. Uh, but the, what we're doing now is going to shape how that is perceived then and. Even then, we'll look back and think, well, did we really have it right back back when we were talking about it at the time? But this is a really interesting time uh, in Packers history because you've got the the probable end of back to back Hall of Fame level quarterbacks in the in the relatively near future. Can the Packers go three in a row uh, getting Hall of Fame level quarterbacks? History would say probably no, but you never know. Um, how will Mark Murphy's these siloing reforms affect the immediate and long-term future of the Packers? How will it affect his future with the Packers? Those are interesting questions, and we get to see those playing out in real time as we do this sort of stuff. And I think I've had a great time just looking back over the course of the things that we've put together with the Power Sweep and seeing how our opinions about things have changed over time based on on what we've learned uh, over the course of, of doing this for a few years now. That's been very, very interesting and rewarding, and I'm super thankful that we've been able to do what we're doing here during this time. Finally, just as a really broad point about rooting for for the Packers and stuff, I'm really thankful that I've gotten to see some truly great non-Farve, non-Rodgers players. The thing about having great quarterbacks is they tend to be the only players you think about when you talk about an era of a team. First and foremost, at least, the Brett Favre Packers, the Aaron Rodgers Packers. I think you understand what I'm saying. But there have been great non-Favre and non-Rodgers players in that era. I uh, think about that today because it was just announced that Leroy Butler is a semifinalist for the, the Hall of Fame. Whether or not he gets in is not, not really the point. It was cool to see him play growing up. Uh, another name that I've thought about a lot recently uh, was Reggie White. And he's probably, as much as anything, the reason that I became as much of a Packers fan as I am. I was thinking today, preparing for this, why Reggie White? Well, it's easy to gravitate to the good players, for one thing, and he was certainly a good player. But what was it about him in particular that made him interesting? And I think being a six, seven, eight-year-old Packers fan, the sheer size of a guy like Reggie White, but moving the way he did, was just kind of awe-inspiring in a way that players who are just fast or just strong just isn't. Reggie White, in highlights, in full games, whatever you watch, just looked like a grizzly bear out there on the field. The way he threw people around just 
he looked like he would be strong, and then he turned out to be even stronger than you even imagined he could be. That was Reggie White, and that, I think as much as anything, was was why I gravit- gravitated to watching him and, and wanting to emulate him, I guess, on the playground and stuff like that, and ultimately become kind of a diehard Packers fan. But I'm thankful for all of that, and I'm thankful that we, we get to root for a team like the Green Bay Packers that has that rich history and has those great players. Uh, many, many more than I that I have time to name here. What are you thankful for when it comes to the Packers, when it comes to the, the Packers media you consume? I'm interested in hearing your thoughts. If you have some, reach out on Twitter this week. I will make sure to, to retweet anybody who um, reaches out to me. We'll, we'll have a little bit of conversation. Reach out at the Power Sweep or at John Meerdink this week. I would love to hear your thoughts, especially Wednesday as we're, we're playing out the string uh, before we all take a, a day off. Hopefully, hopefully you have time off on Thanksgiving. Um, to eat a lot of turkey and a lot of pumpkin pie and a lot of other good stuff. So I've got for you on this episode, we will be back Black Friday morning with another episode previewing this weekend's game against the New York Giants. I do appreciate everybody who's taken the time to reach in, to download, or to, to download one of our episodes, to reach out, to listen in. All of those good things. If you like what you heard and want to help to keep, uh, help us to keep the good stuff going, leave us a rating and review. That helps more people find the show on whatever podcast app you are using. If you have the opportunity to rate or review there, do that. It does help a lot. Other than that, check out the shop link, the, the support page at thepowersweep.com. You will find multiple options there for for financial ways to support the Power Sweep and Blue 58. If you've got an idea for the show or just want to say hi, don't hesitate to reach out. Facebook, Twitter, email, whatever you choose. We do appreciate everybody who takes the time. Anybody who does so helps further our mission of helping everyone become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.